Hi, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning's scripture reading is taken from Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. Yet even now declares the Lord, Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? This is the word of the Lord. A very good morning, everyone. Uh, you know, over this pandemic season, uh, many of us have been finding our voices in prayer uh, once again. And this is definitely something that uh, God is doing in an unusual way during this time. And I think God has been speaking to us through his preached word. If I were to summarize uh, what we have been hearing over the past six Sundays, it's actually been less about prayer and more about relationship. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, to them God gave the right to become his children. God has been opening our eyes to see the relationship we have with him. And this relationship uh, is not just a privilege, it is our right, it is our portion, it is our inheritance in Christ Jesus. This relationship was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his precious blood. And so out of that relationship, prayer flows. And over the next two Sundays, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Joel. Now, Joel is a prophet. And a prophet is quite different from a psalmist. You see, a, a psalmist stands on the side of human beings, of you and I, and he helps us to pour out our hearts uh, before God. But a prophet, a prophet stands on the side of God and helps to make God's heart known to us. And so the psalmist helps us make our hearts known to God, but the prophet makes God's heart known to us. Let me say that one more time. The psalmist helps us make our hearts known to God, but the prophet makes God's heart known to us. Now, as we look at Joel, we'll be learning about our relationship with God. We'll also be learning about the cry on God's heart, the cry that he wants us to hear 
through this pandemic and we'll be learning how to respond to that cry uh, in prayer. Now, before I lead us through today's passage, let me tell you a few things about the book of Joel. The book of Joel was actually written in a time of unprecedented calamity. A major locust swarm had struck the nation of Judah. Farms, vineyards, orchards, gardens, everything had been wiped out. Now the drunkards, they had no more wine. The farmers had no more crops. The priests had no more offerings and sacrifices. And the people had no more joy. It was a major calamity. No one was spared. Society as a whole was overturned. And as Joel writes about these things in chapter 1, and he calls for the people to lament, to fast, and to pray. But when we arrive at Joel chapter 2, Joel tells us of another calamity that is to come, a calamity that is far worse than their current predicament. There would be a massive army, a, 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 an army that is more numerous, more versatile, more deadly than the swarm of locusts. And they would come and they would wipe out everything, not just crops and vegetation like the locusts. This army would lay waste to all life in its path. But the most horrifying detail about this army is found in Joel chapter 2, verse 11. And there Joel says, the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. Now, this was no normal army. The commander in chief of this brutal army is none other than God himself. God is the one directing and commanding and rallying his troops for war. And Joel saw that there would be a day when God would unleash his army against his people and then against the rest of the world. Now, people, let me tell you three things, three things that Joel teaches us about the COVID-19 calamity that we are in. All right, so three things Joel teaches us about the COVID-19 calamity. This is number one. Every calamity, including COVID-19, is under God's sovereignty. Every calamity, including COVID-19, is under God's sovereignty. Joel doesn't attribute the locust swarm or the future army to man's foolishness, his mistakes. He doesn't also attribute these things to Satan. Joel unmistakably sees God as the chief architect behind these disasters. Now, number two, don't be quick to connect every calamity, including COVID-19, to God's judgment. Number two, don't be quick to connect every calamity, including COVID-19, to God's judgment. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 38, God states that he would unleash the locust swarm upon his people as judgment if they broke his covenant. And so Joel interprets the devastating locust swarm as God's judgment. What is interesting, though, is that Joel never calls the people to repent for any specific sin. There is no specific sin mentioned. Now, in contrast, 
Uh, there are some Christians today who are quick to label COVID-19 as God's wrath and judgment upon this and that nation and, and for every kind of specific sin. Joel declared judgment from Deuteronomy 28. Where do we judge, uh, declare judgment from? The book of Job tells us that not all calamity is judgment. Romans 1 tells us that God often expresses his judgment by letting people have whatever their sinful hearts desire. 1 Corinthians 11 and Hebrews 12 tell us that calamity is sometimes God's loving discipline, not his wrathful judgment. So on what grounds are we and can we so quickly declare judgment? Now, though every calamity is under God's sovereignty, do not be quick to connect every calamity with God's judgment. Number three, every calamity, including COVID-19, it mirrors God's impending final judgment. Every calamity, including COVID-19, mirrors God's impending final judgment. Now, all of us go through hardship, right? Maybe it's a rare disease, maybe a bizarre accident, uh, maybe uh, the sudden loss of financial assets. And these things remind us of our mortality. They, they tell us uh, and invite us to come and humble ourselves before God. However, a calamity that takes thousands and thousands of people's lives and that uproots entire societies, now that is different. That is very different. That should bring us beyond a sense of our mortality to a reminder of the coming day of God's judgment. Now, that's how Joel responded as he witnessed to the devastation of the locust swamp. He was shaken up because he saw the awesome day of the Lord approaching. And now this phrase, the day of the Lord, uh, it refers to the day of God's final judgment. And in, the, in these two chapters, Joel uses that phrase four times. Joel saw the unstoppable locust in his day, and he caught a glimpse of the unstoppable day of God's judgment to come. Now, this pandemic is no different. Now, the unpleasant realities we experience in this season is just a foretaste of the horrors of Judgment Day. We hear about isolation, about feeling alone, patients in the ICU passing away without a single loved one by their side. Now, this is just a glimpse of how it will be when we stand before the judgment seat of God. No one will be able to stand with you, not your parents, not your siblings, not your spouse, not your friends. It is your judgment and you alone will be held responsible for your own life and your own choices. This will be a day of profound isolation. Only those who have Christ will have him at their side. He will be their representative. He will be their mediator. And he will be their judge. But for those who reject Jesus, for those who are ashamed of Jesus before man on earth, Jesus says that he will likewise reject them and be ashamed of them before God on the day of judgment. Now, today we also wonder, when can we come to the Lord's table and take the communion together? Again, on judgment day, the Lord's table will be set. 
the wedding supper of the Lamb will be laid out in all its delicious glory. But every person who wishes to attend this glorious feast will first have to get through the judgment seat. And on that day, there will be many people who will never again enjoy communion and fellowship at the Lord's table. Their portion will be the isolation of hell. And rather than the taste of glory, their mouths will be filled with the gnashing of teeth. Theirs will be the furnace of the unceasing fury of God's wrath. Now that is the horror of the day of the Lord. And as Joel says in verse 11 of chapter 2, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Some translations use the word awful. The day of the Lord is very great and very awful. Who can endure it? And this will be the greatest calamity that mankind has ever known. And it will be the calamity to end all calamities. Every calamity mirrors God's impending final judgment. And so now with those three things in mind, as you experience both the pandemic today and the knowledge of that awful day of judgment to come, would you turn with me to Joel chapter 2, verse 12? And I guess as we open up to this passage, we might be wondering what word of doom will we hear next? What painful reminder of judgment will we come across? And this is what Joel chapter 2, verse 12 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart. And this is what is on God's heart. This is the cry of God's heart for us in this time of both present and future crisis. Return to me with all your heart. And this is the main focus of today's sermon. I'm going to be leading us through three questions on God's cry to return. All right, three questions on God's cry to return. And these are the questions. Number one, what does it mean to return? Number two, why should we return? And number three, how are we to return? Let me say that one more time. Number one, what does it mean to return? Number two, why should we return? And number three, how are we to return? Now let's begin with the first question. What does it mean to return? In verse 12, God cries out, Yet even now, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend, rend your hearts and not your garments. Through calamity, God was awakening people and showing them how far they were from him. And hasn't God done the same thing with us through this pandemic? I mean, do you remember when the impact of COVID-19 first hit Singapore? Like it really hit Singapore. Do you remember how you felt like at that time? I tell you, I remember. I was supposed to preach a sermon series on uh, leading up to Good Friday. And after my first sermon, I had to come up with a, a whole new sermon series specific to this COVID-19 situation. And I was extremely, I felt extremely stressed. And it wasn't, it wasn't because I had to start from scratch. It wasn't because this was such a last minute change that I had to adjust to. Uh, I know I was, I, was, it's, yeah, I, I was okay with those things. But I was stressed. I felt so stressed because I suddenly felt like people were actually listening to these sermons. 
Now, this is not to say and, uh, 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 that no one was listening before. It's just that this time was so different. I mean, I just felt like we Agapians really, we really wanted to hear what God had to say to us during this time of calamity. And do you remember that feeling? Do you remember how unsafe and how unsure you felt? How it felt like, you know, every foundation that you, that you were standing upon had been shaken. And do you remember that sense that you needed to draw near to God? This is what God does in times of calamity. You see, we can go years and years of just living life, day in, day out. And though our hearts are drifting further and further and further away from God, we feel nothing. And as Christians, we can be very comfortable in our religious routines. We go to church on Sundays, uh, we worship, fellowship, tithe, we serve, and so on. And yet, even in these very spiritual-looking routines, we actually aren't drawing any closer to God. And in the same way, the people that God speaks to in verses 12 and 13, they, they were religious people. Uh, that is why God felt it was necessary to say to them, rend your hearts and not your clothes. You know, they were a well-behaved religious people. They knew how to behave in times of crisis. They knew it was, a, it was a time of mourning. It was a time of lamenting. And so they tore their clothes. They, they wore sackcloth. They sprinkled ashes on their heads. And they wailed and they wept. And while all this drama was going on, their hearts were not getting any closer to God. All that religiosity was just about them. Maybe they were trying to manipulate God, to get God to, to stop the calamity and return things back to normal. Maybe the calamity made them realize how sinful they were and you know, their frantic religious activity you know, just made them feel better about themselves. Perhaps this was your experience too. At the onset of this crisis, you felt like you had suddenly drawn near to God and you were praying like never before. You were reading the word like never before. You were uh, attending the Sunday live stream with such diligence. But once you got adjusted to the circuit breaker, to life in the circuit breaker, you know, then all that activity kind, it kind of just faded out. It just stopped. And in some sense, you, you went back to your old ways. But this is what God is saying to us even now. Spare me the theatrics. I am not interested in a show. Don't mock me with your pretense and your false religion. What I want is for you to be genuinely heartbroken because you see how far you are from me. And I want you to return. Come, come home. Come home to me. And I don't know what you thought about the lament series that we just concluded last Sunday. You know, maybe you've, you really felt freed up to lament before God. Or maybe you tucked it away for future use because right now, you honestly, you don't feel like there's a need to lament. But people, there is a lament on God's heart. You know, one person who has consistently cried out throughout all of the Bible, how long, how long, that person is none other than God himself. How long will these people be a stiff-necked and rebellious people? How long will they remain double-minded and waver between false gods? 
How long will you forsake the Lord, your husband, and be an adulterous, idolatrous people? And even in the New Testament, Jesus cries out, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to bear with you? And in the book of Revelation, Jesus speaks to the seven churches and he essentially cries out to them, how long will you abandon your first love? How long will you remain lukewarm towards me? How long must I knock and knock on the door and yet you are unwilling and not willing to open the door and let me in? There is a lament on God's heart. The father longs for his little children to come to him. And people, perhaps the reason we aren't lamenting is because we've been looking at things only from our point of view rather than from God's point of view. Let Jesus, let Jesus be our example. When he walked on earth, you know, in the Gospels, he, he looks at the city of Jerusalem and he cries out, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks, gathers her brood under her wings, yet you were not willing. Jesus turned his father's lament into his own lament. And people, this is something we must lament about. I mean, look at how passionately the father wants you to return. And then in contrast, look at your own heart, look at your lukewarm heart. And as you see your indifference, your apathy, your waywardness, would you bring it before him in lament? Cry out to him, Lord, why am I like this? This COVID-19 calamity, it has turned my life upside down and yet I have remained stubborn in my sin. Oh Lord, how long will I continue in this way? How much more will it take for me to return to you with all my heart? Must I catch the virus? Will I then return to you? Must someone close to me die from the virus? Will I then finally return to you? But Lord God, I think I, and I fear that even if those things were to happen, yet my heart would be hardened against you. Lord, only you can change my heart. Only you can help me. And so, Lord, help me, oh God. Help me. And people, this is the lament of repentance. We ask the question, what does it mean to return? Well, the short answer is to return is to truly repent. To return is to truly repent. You see, repentance was never just meant to be, uh, you know, us sinners confessing our sins and then God the judge uh, forgiving us and then we carry on with our lives. True repentance is about reconciliation between wayward children and their grieving father. That is what repentance is about. Repentance is not just about turning away from sin. Repentance is about returning to the Father. Let me say that again. Repentance is not just about turning away from sin. Repentance is about returning to the Father. So that's the first question. Let's now look at the second question. Why should we return? Why should we return? Now, now, this sounds like a silly question. You see, Joel has helped us to see that the calamity that we are in, and bad though it is, it is nothing compared to the calamity of the coming day of God's judgment. 
Now, obviously, if we value our eternal souls, we should return to God. I mean, this is just common sense. And it is good that we should think this way. You see, in light of God's hot fury, it is holy fear that drives us to holy self-preservation. So this is not a wrong reason. This is not a bad motivation for turning to God. Uh, not, not at all. All right, but listen to what Joel says to us in verse 13. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Now, Joel calls us to return to Yahweh, our God, our Elohim. Why? Well, it's not because of his hot wrath. It's not because of the, of the fear of coming judgment. It's not out of self-preservation. Joel calls us to return because of who God is. Return because God is beautiful, because God is desirous, because God is glorious. Return because you want to. Return because you love him. And return because our God, he is not going to deny you. He will receive you. He is a God who is gracious and merciful. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He is a God who is slow to anger. His anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. And oh, oh the steadfast, chastened, loyal, covenantal, unending divine love of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And he relents. Now, what does this word relent mean? To relent means to soften. To relent means to give in. To relent means that God will stay his hand and he will bring an end to calamity. This is what Joel says in verse 14. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him. It is in the nature of our God to relent over disaster. And this is why we pray, isn't it? I mean, this is why we look to him, not just for our spiritual needs, but we come to him with our day-to-day -day issues. This is why we pray that the COVID-19 pandemic would end in Jesus' name. That as suddenly as God had unleashed this calamity upon us, that he would also as quickly and as suddenly remove it from us. Now we pray because our God is a God who relents. So while calamities, they, they do give us a glimpse into the horrors of God's wrath, it is his character that calls us to return. It is his love. It is his nature to receive his children. That, that is what draws us home to him. Like the father of the prodigal son, our father has such a desire for you and I to come home to him. He waits at the window. He watches the road. He looks for the sign of your return. And at, 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 the, at the briefest glimpse of your return, he, he comes running out to you. He grabs you in the biggest, fiercest hug you've ever known. And he throws a feast in your honor. Why should we return? 
because God really, really, really desires for us to do so. And because there's no one else who has such a wild, crazy, long-suffering love for you than your heavenly Father. Now, don't you want to remain in that love? Don't you want to enjoy His goodness? Don't you want to bask in such sweet grace? People, do you not know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so people, return to the Lord your God, for He loves you, and He wants you to come home. We come now to the final question. How are we to return? How are we to return? Here, here we come to the practical application of this sermon. And I want to draw out three practical considerations on how we are to return. All right, so three practical considerations. Number one, return with hope. Return with hope. Now, clearly, God is calling each and every one of us to truly repent, to come with broken hearts before Him, to weep and to fast and to lament. But people don't, for a moment, don't think that that is something we do and that we must do out of despair and out of depression or out of guilt. No, this is something we do out of hope. We repent with hope. In verse 15, Joel calls for a fast, you know, a solemn assembly. And perhaps to us, this just sounds miserable, right? Maybe it sounds like something that we, we need to do out of a sense of despair and hopelessness, but this is not true at all. This call that Joel makes in verse 15 is actually a response to what we heard earlier about who God is. And more specifically, Joel is making this call out of the hope in verse 14. And that is the hope that God would relent. So I want, you to, I want to encourage all of you, don't return to God with a posture of hopelessness, of despair, you know, saying in our hearts, What's the point of repenting? How is this going to change anything? No. Return to God with hope. Hold fast to His character, His steadfast love and faithfulness. Recount the wonderful things that God has already done for you. How, you know, how He brought you to faith. How He used you to be a blessing. How He provided for you time and time again. And you, as you return to Him, you know, hope that He will relent that he would open the door to his presence, that, 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 you know, that, that, that door to his presence that has seemed shut to you all this time, that he would open it to you, that he would come through for you in that situation that you have just lost and given up hope about, that he would flood your cold, beautiful, robotic heart of faith with the joy of salvation, with fresh love and with fresh life, that he would bring an end to COVID-19 and end and end and bring an end to social distancing sooner rather than later. So people return to God with hope. Return to God with hope. Now practical consideration number two, return in community. Return in community. Now look with me at uh, verse 16. Joel there says, Gather the people, 
consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Now this is not the time for personal reflection and personal repentance. What Joel is calling for is for the entire community to come together. The ageless wonders, the agapilan kids, the youth of the raised ministry, the young adults of the emerged ministry, the men of the guys' ministry, uh, the women of the women's ministry, uh, even the nursing infants who used to attend the main service with us. Everybody, everybody must gather together. And Joel says that we need to make this top priority. Now, don't use your busyness to avoid this. Don't you realize, you, you know, you were too busy before COVID-19 to return to God. And now, even while you're at home, you're still too busy to return to Him. Now, clearly, busyness is not the problem. The problem is our restless hearts. And so come together. Give priority to returning to Him as one people. Joel even goes as far as to say, postpone your wedding for this. Now, that's something that really resonates with me. Postpone your wedding for this. Return to God as one community. That is top priority. People, returning to God is meant to be done together, not individually. You know, when my grandmother passed away, it was the family awake service that helped me and led me to grieve fully. In the same way, you know, the church gatherings on Sunday, the cell gatherings on Fridays, uh, you know, it's helped my cold, distant heart find fresh joy in God time and time and time again uh, over the many years. People, returning is not meant to be something that you accomplish heroically on your own, you know, using your own resources. No, returning is something we are to do as we come together. And I find it amazing that even as I preach this sermon, God has opened up numerous platforms for us to return to Him in community. Monday to Saturday, different leaders are leading us in prayer every morning at 8 a.m. on the Agape Facebook page. Every two Sundays, uh, sorry, every two weeks, every fortnightly, Pastor Guoliang leads us in the prayer Ignite on every alternate Tuesday evening. I know there are cell groups that are, that are even meeting before the Sunday live stream to pray together. I know there are organic Bible reading groups that are regularly Zooming together. Some of the Agapilan kids are gathering with their teachers on a weekly basis to read the Bible and to pray together. And even right after this sermon, the cell groups are going to be processing this sermon and responding to God's word together. And I believe that, this, that it is God who has put these things together. Now, I don't deny it is true that each of us needs to decide for ourselves whether or not we will return to God. Now, this is a decision we have to make for ourselves, but that doesn't mean that it is a decision that we make by ourselves. All right, so watch out for that pride that says, I, I can manage on my own, you know, or for that arrogant self-pity that says, no one understands me. The truth is we hardly understand ourselves. The Bible says our hearts are deceitful beyond measure. Who can comprehend it? Instead, would you join with others and let us return to the Lord our God together? And so return to God in community. Return to God 
in community. And now I come to the third and final practical consideration, return through Christ. Number three, return through Christ. In verse 17, Joel says, between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Joel calls for the priests, the ministers of the Lord, to cry out to God on behalf of the people. And perhaps there are applications here uh, for the church elders, for the pastoral staff, for the leaders in our church, that perhaps we need to intercede even more for the sake of our people. Perhaps there's also an application here for the parents, especially for fathers, to take ownership for your families returning to God and to cry out to God on your family's behalf. Perhaps there's also an application here for those of us who are the only Christians in our families and in our circles. Maybe it is a call here for you to cry out to God for the salvation of your loved ones like never before. Now, these are all good applications, but I believe this verse should lead us to Christ. Joel verse 17 specifically mentions this space between the vestibule and the altar. And people, this space between the vestibule and the altar, it was a traditional spot where priestly intercession was poured out for the sake of the people of God. And this is a place of honor. You know, elders aren't allowed in there. Fathers aren't allowed in there. Only the ordained priests of God were allowed in this sacred space. And people, first and foremost, it is Jesus who occupies that space of honor. Romans 8.34, it tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of God, which is the place of honor, and he is interceding for us. And so as we come to God in repentance, return through Christ, not through your own efforts. Know that he has been praying for you all this time. Know that his power is made perfect in your weakness. And so while you return in hope, while you return with community, most important of all, return through Christ. He alone is worthy of that place of honor. He alone is worthy to have the Father's privileged attention to his prayers. And that is because of the cross. You see people at the cross, Jesus died as both the psalmist as well as the prophet. At the cross, Jesus was on the side of you and I, bringing our lament before God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But by staying put on the cross and enduring the cross even to death, Jesus was also on the side of the Father. And he was making loud the lament on God's heart to each and every generation and every age. How long will you stubbornly refuse me? How long until you return to my love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whomever should believe in him shall have eternal life and shall not perish. Let us pray.